You're listening to audio from One Church of High Point. If you'd like more resources or would like to donate, visit onechurchnc.net. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Hey. Y'all still in comatose. Come on down. I got turkey on your brains and everything. Well, I'm reminded of a story um, of a man who's in Phoenix. And his son lives in New York. And the day before Thanksgiving, he, he calls his dad and said, Dad, I hate to ruin your day, but we have to talk. So the father begins to tell his son that your mother and I are going to get a divorce. After 45 years, like he, they, he can't put up with his wife anymore. Like your mom is just driving me crazy. So son, after 45 years, we have decided to part ways. The son began to ask like, dad, dad, what are you talking about? This, this is you and mom. You guys have been together for 45 years and you guys were high school sweethearts, but why now? So we're just we're just sick and tired of each other. I can't take her cooking anymore. She can't take me doing nothing anymore. And the son says, Dad, you know what? I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call my sister who lives in Chicago and I'm gonna tell her, so don't do anything until we call you back. So the, the, the son calls his sister and he says, sis. Mom and dad are getting divorced. And then she's like, what, what are you talking about? She hangs up. The son calls the father back and tells him, my sister and I are on our way home so we can talk with you. The dad hangs up the phone and says, sweetheart, they're coming home for Thanksgiving. We don't have to pay for the flights. <laughs> <laughs> Let him register. Come on. Put it together. And that's how you have to get your kids home. By any means necessary, right? The moral of that story is that there's nothing like family. There's nothing like family. More importantly, there's nothing like Thanksgiving to our family. So if you have your Bibles today, let's turn to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And I'll be reading from good old King James Version for my old heads in the house. Amen. Good old King Jimmy. Luke 17, verse 11 says, and it came to pass. That's what you know is King James, right? Because NIV don't say that. Okay, those Bible readers, let me just remind you, dusty Bibles, dirty Christians. Remember that. If your Bibles are dusty, you might be kind of dirty. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show 
yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them who saw that he was healed turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down in his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering him said, were, not, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go, thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So my message and my title today is just simply thankful. It is simply just thankful. I believe if you keep living long enough, you will come to a place to understand that there's some things that only God can fix. You can't do anything, your mama can't do anything, your daddy, your granny, your great-granny, and all the other great-great-greats you can say. They can't help. There's only certain things that we know that God can do. I know that for some of you guys, you've got a big Bible, and you have perfect tennis in Sunday school class, and that's okay. You are that mega-Christian. It's, it's quite fine. But at some point, we come to realize that there are only certain things that God can do. We all know how it feels to be sick and when we're sick even to the point of death. And I understand that with any story and parable, you have to begin to ask yourself, what is Jesus or what is the scriptures really trying to say? So here in Luke chapter 17, we know that Jesus is walking through Samaria and Galilee, he's somewhere in the middle. And between Samaria and Galilee, he comes across ten men. That's right, ten men. And all of them cry out, Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Not one, not two, not three, not four. All ten cry out to Jesus. Have mercy on us. I begin to ask myself, why in the world is Jesus walking in between Samaria and Galilee? Like, this is Jesus, right? He's in the middle of what we consider the Samarians, right? They are the forgotten, the, the undesirable. But Galilee is where Jesus done most of his ministry. But he finds himself in the middle where that's tension, right? He's He's to the left, people go to Samaria, but to the right, he was, those are the more favorable ones. But he finds himself in the middle. And sometimes that tension is in the middle is where God wants you to be. Right. That's where he has prescribed to help develop your faith. So I am thankful for tension. Some of you may not like that because tension is not, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's undesirable, but in the middle is where God desires us to be at times. In the middle of tension where you're being stretched, you're being pulled to a place where God says, I want to grow your faith. See, tension is a training ground 
for your faith. See, tension is the training ground where God wants to develop your faith in such a way that you will only lean on him. Tension will help you go deeper with your walk with God. See, I don't know about you, but I know for me, those, those moments and those times where I find the seasons of my life where, God, what do I do with this situation? How do I begin to respond to this conflict? How do I begin to respond to what God has had placed in my life? But God said, Ryan, I have you right where I have where I want you to be. That tension will bring you to the end of yourself and at the beginning where God is. That tension is there to help grow our faith. Verse 12 says, as he entered, entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And I began to ask myself, how in the world does these ten lepers know Jesus? So this, this is the dialogue when I'm reading scripture that I begin to really immerse myself and begin to place myself into the scriptures. And if I was one of those 10 lepers, how would I begin to know who this Jesus is, right? Well, maybe maybe they heard about how Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe they begin to understand that Jesus healed the paralyzed. And maybe, just maybe, that they begin to hear that Jesus began to eat with sinners and tax collectors. Maybe they heard about this man who was born of a virgin where Jesus in Luke chapter 6 heals a man on the Sabbath. He heals a man by the pool of Bethesda. Maybe they begin to hear rumors about this Jesus and, and this Roman centurion where he said, just speak the word and I believe that my, my servant will be healed. <coughs> Maybe this is the same Jesus that they're seeking. Maybe, just maybe, these things that you've been hearing about this man called Jesus can save you. Maybe you've heard and seen the billboards plastered around the world the reason for the season is because of Jesus. And these ten lepers cry out and say, Master, have mercy on us. Somewhere, somehow, these ten men believe that the man named Jesus can change their situation. Maybe you're here today because this man named Jesus, you, you have a situation that only God can fix. Not doctors, not lawyers, not your mom, not your dad, but only Jesus himself can fix your problem. And then think about the Old Testament and to have leprosy, it was one of those things that we would kind of reflect and say, it's kind of like having AIDS, you know, where people don't want to be beside you. Okay, maybe it's an STD. You want to just keep it real? <laughs> right? It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just maybe. See, in the Old Testament, if you have lepers, leprosy, you had to stand amongst, uh, from far out from the crowd. That you had to begin, if you're walking afar from everyone else, you had to call, cry out, and begin to say, unclean, unclean. So people would know that you had leprosy. 
You have to go show yourself to the priest so that way he can validate that you were now healed. Truth be told, they were outside Jerusalem. They were outside the church. They felt rejected by society. They felt unclean. They felt that they had made a mistake. And maybe today, maybe today you're that person who's been rejected. Maybe you're that person who felt unclean. Maybe you're that person who, who just felt that you are not, you don't measure up with everyone else, that you are rejected by society. More importantly, how can God love a person like me with the sins that I have? How in the world can a God who is sovereign and holy want me as broken as I am, as dirty as I am? Does he truly know my track record? Does he know what, what I've been involved in? Does he know all my deepest and my darkest secrets? And just maybe your brokenness feels normal. Just maybe your dysfunction feels normal. See, these lepers was, was broken. There was dysfunction. This, their condition felt normal amongst their community. The only time that you feel accepted when others around you are broken is you. See, the, these, these ten lepers found community with one another. You know what I'm talking about. Partying all night long. Hanging out with the wrong people. You felt accepted because that was your community. But let me introduce you to a new community. A community of believers. A community of believers where you can come as you are. Begin to do life as you are. But that's not where God wants you to stay. But when you stand next to someone who appears to have it all together, they know every Bible scripture in the, in the Bible, they can quote everything, they're holier than thou. And that's when the reality hits and then you begin to think that I'm different. Or those super Christians, right? Those super Christians that go to your job and like, you know, they are polished and they're, they're perfect and then they you measure yourself up against them and you begin to realize that I'm different. And this is when you begin to understand to have a thankful encounter. This is when you begin to understand that you have a thankful encounter with Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says this, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go and show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. So Jesus didn't say, be healed. Jesus didn't say that you are made whole. He didn't say that you are blessed. The only thing Jesus said was to go. God will challenge you to do things that will make you feel uncomfortable. That yet God will make you or have you to do things that just doesn't make sense. Think about it. 
a church called One Church, where we desire to have every tribe, every nation under and tongue. We're black and brown and white and caramel and mocha, whatever your preference may be, are all together worshiping one God up under one roof in different languages. Doesn't make sense at all. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says this. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So in other words, that God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. That in other words, he's saying that I would choose the craziest things that you can imagine and make it sense in the kingdom of heaven. So you have to begin to understand that God's math and our math don't add up. It's two different math. It's like the North Carolina Common Core, right? It doesn't make sense. But God's math is perfect. God's math is his math. When they begin to obey the word of the Lord, their lives begin to change. Let me put it like this. When we begin to obey and apply the word of the Lord, our lives will begin to change. Amen. Watch this. Every step that they took they had a fresh perspective. They begin to obey God. They begin to obey his commands and his decrees. Obedience is a choice. Amen. If we decide to obey God, we must disobey ourselves. It's in our obedience to God that we find his will and not our will. Amen. But imagine this. Every step that the lepers begin to take. I mean, let me put it like this. Growing up, my mom had this rule for her kids. <laughs> Come home from school, what do you do? Do your chores. And my brothers and my, my, my brother and my sister and I, we, we came down to science. We knew exactly when she would come off of work, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And what do you do? You wait to the last minute. And we're running through the house, grabbing trash and washing dishes and cleaning up and straightening up. Because the rule was, before she got home, that we had to make sure that the house was put together. It didn't happen all the time. There's been, uh, there's been times when she get home and the house wasn't clean. And she caught us in the very act of cleaning up. So church, let me tell you, let me just put it like this. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. That it, if God is requiring something of us, your delayed obedience, even though that you are obeying him, is still disobedience. So we have to get to space in our relationship with God that whatever he's asking of me, whatever how 
how crazy you may think it may look like, you have to obey what God has called you to do. Because your obedience is connected to somebody else, and I want all of my blessings. Amen? Amen. Our obedience is connected to so many other people. Felicia and I, we, we did this crazy thing, right? We left a very popular, up-and-coming, can I just say black? You don't say African-American. Y'all want me to be politically. A very, just a very up-and-coming black church in Greensboro. And God shifted our, our, where he was taking us. And we began to play soccer at this soccer camp thing called Upward Soccer at a church called Christ Wesleyan. So we left an all-black church to start going to an all-white church. Like, it was all-white, snow-white. That's yeah. <laughs> not white. And we knew that we were in transition. God said it was time for us to make that change. We didn't know what that was going to look like. Long story short, it was in our obedience that's brought us here today. That shifted us to begin to become church planters and church multipliers and begin to really walk out the gospel in a fresh and a new, different way that we never began to see the scriptures of what God wanted us to do. It was in our obedience, it was in our yes, that God said, this is what I want for you. Now, at the very beginning, it, it, was, it was crazy because we were the only pepper in the salt. Amen. <laughs> but that was okay because he wanted us to be comfortable being uncomfortable. But because of our obedience, a river touches places downstream which the source never know. A river touches places downstream, which the source does not know. And I say that just to say, now because we see the benefit of our obedience, we get to be a part of a community of believers as yourself, where we get to walk and worship and work together and co-labor in the gospel in such a way that we begin to see heaven on earth. We begin, begin to walk out in unity, where the world is divided and they want to be divisive and all that God is you know, trying to make sure that we're doing what he's called us to do. So here we are. These ten lepers. God, Jesus tells them to go show yourself to the priest. If I was one of those lepers, I'm going to give you my version. This is Ryan's version, the Negro International version. Amen. <laughs> I can say that. Y'all can say it too. This, this is me talking to God. I'm one of those lepers. And the mother and I, my homeboys, been like, man, Jesus, why he, like, he could just healed us, right? Like, why didn't he just touch us? You know, touch the hem of the garment. We heard that story, right? Jesus, can we get a mud bath or something? I remember he put some spit in the ground, made a mud pie, put some, put it on the eye patches, he let somebody see. Like, Jesus, why can't you just speak the word and we be healed? This is the conversation I would be having with my other nine homeboys. Okay, this is Brian's NIV version. Like, Jesus, why can't we, why, you, you want us to walk? Like, bruh, it's ten, two miles down the road. You want us to walk to the priest and we're not healed. Come on, Jesus. Like, for real. This is how I read the scripture. I'm sorry, don't, don't judge me. 
<laughs> Good story. Y'all been there before. But Jesus, since she blessed him with this, how come I might get mine? But Jesus, you gave the family over here this. Why can't why can't my family have this? Y'all been in the same boat, just not saying it. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is the Jesus that healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, spoke, and they were healed. Are well, you gonna make me walk? You mean you gonna make me go an extra mile? That's why I'm thankful for my faith. Amen. I have a thankful faith. Because scripture says, as they were walking. Meaning that all Jesus had to do is say, go. My faith activated my healing. Jesus is there, and as I'm walking towards the priest, I begin to look at my foot, my, my body, and I begin to see the scales and the boils begin to fall off. I begin to see the healing taking place in my body. So what God wants us to realize is that when he tells you to go somewhere, he wants you to go. And don't worry about the gap from what he's spoken, where he's going to take you. Come on, church. Come on, church. To what he says. He wants you to be obedient. The scripture says, as they were walking, they became cleansed. <coughs> Verse 18 says this. Let me backtrack. Many of us want God to do it so we can so we can go. But God is teaching you that he would do it as you go. So true. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, been there. God, if you heal me, then I'll go. God, if you provide this for me, I will go. God said, that's not how I'm operating here. He wants to grow your faith. He wants you to go even in the condition that you are. He wants you to go in the conditions that you are so that we can be completely dependent on him. Because if you go because of the healing, then you're going to associate the healing because you're going. But God is saying, no, I need your faith to be so great that when I tell you to do something, that you will go despite what the optics will look like. So true. James 2 says this, verse 18. Ye, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith with thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Thou believe that there is one God, thou does it well. The devil also believes. But will thou know, O vain man, thy faith without works is dead. Your faith and works have to be accompanied together. So God, don't, don't worry about fixing me so you can use me. God, don't, 
Don't worry about healing me so I can do that worse, God. Don't, don't worry about making that I'm made perfect first before I do your will. Even in my condition, I'm going to do your will. I've been there before, God. Take this from me. God, if, 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 I, if, if you will help with this addiction, I, I, I will become made new. I can have a greater testimony, but your testimony is great already. God is saying, I will not heal you so you can go, but I will heal you as you go. Now, I remember in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote, he said, three times, Lord, take this from me. But God said, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace, even if I don't take it from you, my grace is sufficient. He wants you to realize this. I'm God if I do, and I'm God if I don't. <laughs> and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Verse 16. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And when he was a Samaritan, and Jesus answered, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Do the math. Ten minus one. I'm going to break out the fingers for those who need fingers. Ten minus one. That's nine, right? One, two, three, four. Where was the other nine? One came back. But the only nine kept going. And I'm thinking to myself, I know your mother raised you, right? You go back and say thank you. But what happened to the other nine? I believe this. Verse 15 says this. And one of them saw that he was healed, turned back to God with a loud voice, glorifying God. I want you to look at the disparity between these two. Look, look at the verse 12. They asked with a lifted voice. Verse 15, they gave thanks with a loud voice. Let me say that one more time. They asked with their voice lifted, but they gave thanks. He gave thanks with a loud voice. So let me, let me put it to you like this. They're praying with a lifted voice, and they're praising with a loud voice. There's a difference. I'm praying with the lifted voice. God, help me, God. Help deliver my family. God, begin to bless my, my children. God, begin to bless my generation of, that comes after me. They're praying with a, a lifted up voice. That's good. But over here, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God, you have delivered my family. God, that you have snatched them out of the enemy. God, you have taken them from hell. They have praised with a loud voice. We're praying with a lifted voice, but yet you're praising with a loud voice. We do that because we are placing thanks in action. We're thanking in action. So I believe this. My prayer should lead me to my praise. Well, if I had a hand in me through right now, boy, that my prayer should lead me to my praise. 
So true. I don't know which you have to be thankful for this morning. But I believe this, that our prayers, whatever it took for my prayers to be answered, my praise should be greater. That if I've been praying over something year after year and year after year, now if I'm going to put that much energy to praying, I'm going to put even greater energy into the praise of what God answered for me. So why didn't the other nine give thanks? I put it like this. One commentary says this. That the other nine was from Galilee, right? The other nine, because the other one was from Samaria. It says in Scripture that one was from Samaria, went back and gave thanks to the Lord, but the other nine kept walking. If Jesus is traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, that he's in between um, Samaria and Galilee, that somewhere in between that the Samaritan knew his hometown, the other were, were walking back to Galilee. So I believe this. Jesus is from where? Galilee. Jesus did most of his ministry in Galilee. A lot of the parables and the stories that we read, Jesus finds himself going back to Galilee, back into his home region to do ministry. So maybe the nine knew Jesus. Maybe the nine were like, that's my homeboy. We came up, we grew up on the same block. We from the south side of Galilee. What you talking about? Right? Because we were friends, is it possible that they had a sense of entitlement? Yeah. Because they, they knew Jesus, right? They knew who Jesus was and they knew the mom, they probably even ate at his table, but they grew up with Jesus and they possibly had a sense of entitlement. Yeah. And I love this quote by Pastor Stephen Furrick. He says this, gratitude begins where entitlement ends. Amen. I wish I made that up, but I didn't. <laughs> gratitude begins where, uh, where entitlement ends. We live in a, a society where our kids feel entitled. People feel entitled. And as believers, sometimes we feel entitled. So true. The only thing that you're entitled to is hell. Amen. That's the only thing that you're entitled to. Because we are dead in our sins. The only thing that can save us, the only thing that can save you and I is a man named Jesus. Come on, church. That's the church clap right there. <laughs> the last, last thing is this. Another commentary points this out. Maybe the other nine was waiting to arrive to the temple to give thanks. Because Jesus told them to go show yourself to the priest. And maybe they were waiting to get to a place 
or better yet, the church to praise the Lord. Maybe they were waiting to get to that, that temple, right? To say, God, thank you for delivering me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for setting me free. Church, you don't need a choir. You don't need a pulpit. You don't need a church, a space to give thanks. You can praise them wherever you are. You might see me driving down Windover, shouting a hallelujah while I'm driving. You might see me driving down Westchester, praising the Lord with my hands lifted, praising him. Because I know that I don't need to be in church. Now keep this in mind. Forsake not the assembly of ourselves, right? Hebrews tells us that we should assemble, that we should come together in such a way that God, where we can glorify God as a community. We need that. We need community. But we don't need a church to praise him. I don't need a praise scene to praise him. I don't need a song to praise him. Because I have an anyhow praise. I have a, a, a yet praise. Psalms 150 tells us that we can praise him in the sanctuary. We can praise him with the sounding of a trumpet. We can praise him with a harp or a lyre. We can praise him with the temple, with dancing, with pipes and strings. We can praise him with symbols. We can praise him anywhere because let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The worship team makes their way to the stage. <coughs> I don't know where you're at with your walk with Christ. There's one thing I do know. That because you're here today, you should be grateful that you still have breath in your lungs. And that you should be thankful that God has chosen you to wake up today. Because not everyone has that story. We're all going to meet our maker one day. And when you stand before him and he asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? My prayer is that you say because you have our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we are grateful that he sent his only son to redeem a broken relationship with God the Father. And this is why we gather not only in service, but we gather with a community of believers. So as we give thanks for God today, if you, don't, if you can't think of one thing for thanking Him, thank Him for the activity of your limbs. Thank Him for the activity of your voice. That you have the opportunity to proclaim who He is in your life. Amen. Be thankful because he loves you.
Thank you for watching today's video. If you made a commitment of any kind, if you made a or you made a first time kind of decision to accept Christ, we want to hear from you. Email us at info at onechurchnc.net. If today's message encouraged you, we want to encourage you to give so that we can continue to share the hope of Jesus. You can do that by visiting onechurchnc.net slash give.